I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be today as we look at God's Word. My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, Dallas. We're excited that you chose to spend Father's Day morning with us. We're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to learn from, uh, I believe God has stuff to speak to us today. Our theme for this month, the month of June, is this concept of summer fruit, right? We're in the summertime. We want to do summer well. We want a fruitful summer. I don't know if there's a person in here that wouldn't want to say at the end of the summer, man, that was a great summer. That was a fruitful summer. Uh, No regrets. This summer, we just live life to the full. And Jesus teaches us how to live life as it's truly meant to be lived. He takes us to the good life, the abundant life. And so we're learning from him. Last week, we looked at seasons and really understanding what God had for us. And this season today, as Joe said, we're talking on the concept of party or die. Uh, We'll get to that in just a minute. Next week, we're talking about rest. So another great theme for the summer. As we head into July, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. And that'll be really exciting. We'll have some guest preachers. We'll learn from them. It'll be a great time in our community as we kind of just summer well together. So Luke chapter 15, and I want to ask you to think back to your childhood, your, your elementary school, junior high, high school days. And I want you to think about the parties that you went to, right? Elementary school parties are a big deal. Birthday parties, you know, when you're invited to one of those, you get the invitation. You can probably remember it. If you have kids that are in elementary school, you probably see it now. You get the birthday party invite, and it's just, man, this is so exciting. Whether it's a a pool party, it's a laser tag deal, it's an adventure landing, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, it's at someone's house or park, man, we're just excited about birthday parties, right? And when it was your birthday party, you would sit for months thinking about, what is my birthday party going to be this year? My kids will start months in advance kind of planning in their minds what their birthday party is going to be this year. Every birthday party they go to, they're taking notes of what could they incorporate into their birthday party upcoming. We work on this a lot. I imagine that when you were a child, you did two birthday parties were just a, a big big deal, right? You got to junior high and high school and parties changed. It went from kind of sweet, innocent birthday parties to, at least in my school, maybe in yours, it kind of took on a, a, an MTV flair, uh, you know, so parties went from let's go to Chuck E. Cheese and have birthday cake to you, you would, uh, it just got a little more mature in its expression, if you know what I'm saying, right? And it became an adjective, a descriptor, maybe a, a verbal adjective. Do you party? Did this person party? What did you do this weekend? We partied. Like it was kind of like the dominant narrative. The dividing line of my high school was all around this subject related to partying. Your school might have been that same way. And we'd listen to songs like there's that Beastie Boys song, you got to fight for your right to party. And I didn't know anyone that was trying to steal my right to party, but man, that song, we're like, yes, it's party or die, right? You get into college, and the college that I went to, the first one that I went to was your prototypical American party school. That was the way it was described. It would be on kind of best schools if you like to party lists, right? And so one of the big deals there was the Greek life. If you were in a fraternity or sorority, you know, I don't know if yours was like this. This is how it was there. They had the big houses, the big fraternity and sorority houses. And the way you chose the fraternity or sorority you uh, joined 
was based on their what? It was based on their parties. That's how they recruited you. What was this party deal, right? So that's kind of that season, you get a little bit older, you get invited into a new kind of party. People started getting married, and so there would be wedding parties, and there would be uh, uh, sh- wedding showers. And I didn't really know what a shower was, but you would go to it, and it was a, it was a party, and then people start having kids, and now you're going to other people's kids' birthday parties, so on and so forth. I got a, a, an invitation recently from a professor of mine from college that he was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. And they were inviting all of his students back to this party at the university, right? From first to last, parties kind of shape, order, define our, our lives. I took a sociology class in college. You might have as well, you know, sociology is where you study other cultures. And so we would take time learning about different places around the world. And one of the things that we looked at was the way in which they celebrated what were their parties? What, did, what was their celebration kind of style? What did they celebrate around? And the teacher taught us you could learn a lot about people by looking at the way that they celebrated, looking at what they celebrated, looking at kind of the what were the big things in life that they circled the wagon, so to speak, and just enjoyed life around. So I want to invite you today to kind of put on your sociologist professor glasses, right, and begin to look at your life, begin to look at your family, look at maybe your place of origin, where you're from, look at our community, look at our city, and what would the parties that we celebrate around, what were the things that we really take breaks around, we rejoice around, we, we, we just get excited around, what do they speak about our deeper values? Because what we celebrate around, what you celebrate around, reveals your priorities. My son, who's seven, Lego parties. That's what he wants, right? Birthday party comes around. We don't need a whole lot of variety. We love Legos. We can do a Lego party every year because Legos are his priority, right? That's what he is into. Well, you grow up a little bit and you realize maybe you don't get as excited about Legos. Maybe you do, right? But parties still reveal priorities, I have a a friend that works for a a company that sets sales quotas, sales goals, and if you achieve those goals, then they take you and a guest to the Caribbean every year, and they celebrate around it. Yeah, so he made kind of the sales quota one year, and the whole company that made that, it's kind of like their gold team or whatever, goes to the Caribbean, they get like three or four days there, and they celebrate, wow, You sold this much. Now, you better believe the next year that shaped his priorities. That shaped his wife's priorities. It was like, we are getting that free vacation. Again, we're going to make it, right? Leadership training will tell you what gets celebrated gets replicated, right? It shapes the priorities of an organization. It shapes the priorities of a family. It shapes the priorities of an individual. So the parties shape who we are. You can tell who you're friends are or who you hope your friends are by who's at the parties that we throw, right? It says a lot about our relationships. So I just want to invite you to think a little bit deeper when we're talking about parties to think about what does this speak in a deeper way about who we are? Because a party never just stands for itself. It always reveals something deeper about our vision of the good life, 
of the way that life was really meant to be lived, about just the best things in life. And if our goal this summer is to summer well, to have a fruitful summer, it's important that we think about celebrating because it's a big part of our lives. And when we read the Bible, when we turn to the scriptures, what we see is that it is filled with parties of all sorts, celebrations of all sorts and kinds. From first to last, the Bible is filled with stories about parties. It's fitting because God's word speaks to all of our life. And one of the things that we see when God begins to redeem people, when God begins to transform people, when God begins to move in power in someone's life, in a community's life, when he begins to make them new, one of the things that grace does in their life is it changes the way they celebrate. It changes the way they party. Interestingly uh, enough, do you know that at one portion in the scripture, God's working with his people and he's reorienting them and he's growing them and he's pouring out his grace on them. And he establishes uh, a command, a rule for the Israelites, uh, the people, and this time the people of God. And it was this, that they were to uh, set apart a portion of their income, right? They had a tithing system. So the first tithe went to their version of the local church is how they worship the Lord, right? 10% of their income. So I think 10% of whatever you make was going towards giving to the Lord. Another 10% was to be saved to throw a party at the end of the year for your family, your friends, spend it on food, and just enjoy life. So think about what you make Think about 10% of that. We can ask one of our math teachers, if you get fuzzy on the math, just ask them how much is 10% of whatever, right? Think about that. That's not like you bought someone a sandwich at Subway and, you know, you kind of had a $5 foot long as a celebration. That's like you put some time and some attention and some uh, focus on celebrating. I bet that that story right there, if you think about it, messes a bit with your and my perception of God. Because so often we can find, we can think of God as kind of a, a, a rules guy, a killjoy, a just, you know, settle down over there. And yet what we see God doing in the life of his people is he's teaching them how to celebrate and celebrate well. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, it too is filled with parties from beginning to end. His first miracle is at a wedding, right? Many of his stories and teachings happen in the context of dinner parties, Many of his parables are about different types of parties. He even says the end of time is like a party. And one of his most famous teachings, what we're going to look at today in Luke 15, is set in the context of a party. So we're going to read today Luke 15. We're going to read a story about one father, two sons, and three parties. It's fitting for Father's Day. It's fitting for this season when we're learning to summer well, and I bet as you read this, if you've got your sociologist glasses on, you're going to be able to put yourself in the story. You're going to let God's word speak to you of, oh, that isn't just a story for long ago, but, but I think God's trying to show something to me out of this, to us out of this. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11, this is Jesus teaching, and the context of this teaching is actually at a dinner party. The guests at this party, there's a, a group of folks that are kind of the crowd that you thought would be unlikely to be around Jesus. These were uh, kind of a, a, a wild or disreputable sort, and yet these types of people were drawn 
to Jesus. And so they're with him. And then you've got the kind of the religious crew of Jesus' day, the Pharisees who are a little bit more uh, uh, tightened up, if you will. And they're kind of bothered by Jesus and, and the people that are around him. And so Jesus is talking to both groups of people through this story. And he says this, Jesus says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. So right, right off the bat, we've seen one father, two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. So right off the bat, one father, two sons, younger son says to the father, hey, I want my inheritance now. We don't know why yet, but that's what he's asking. If you have a younger sibling and you feel like they always get their way with your parents, they ask things and your parents kind of bend over for the babies in the family, right? You can see, you know, you might still be angry at this younger sibling right here. If you're the younger sibling, you're like, yeah, that's the way it should be. So... Younger son asks, you know, give me my inheritance, a.k.a. dad. You're, you're, you're no longer good to me. The only thing you're good to me for is, is the money that's coming my way. We don't know why yet. We're going to find out. And the father divides the property between them, between the two sons. So verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the younger son gets his inheritance. Now we see his agenda. Now we see his motives. Now we see what was he trying to do. And it was, I want to get my money. I want to leave dad's house. I want to go out and I want to have fun, right? And so he spends his entire inheritance, that's what it says here, on reckless living, wild living, another translation says. I mean, he is, uh, he is going after it. Verse 14. And when he, the younger son, had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him, his fee- sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he's partying down, runs out of money, and wouldn't you know it, a famine hits at that point. He has no money. He has no resource. He's kind of broken off relationship with his family. He's got nothing, so he's got to figure out a way to survive, so he kind of talks his way into feeding pigs to make a living. If you know anything about his culture, you know that would be kind of like the ultimate uh, lowest job on the totem pole, defilement of defilements, but he's just trying to just trying to make it. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, so the younger son kind of has this came to his senses, some translations say. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he hatches a plan, right? He's like, Man, what I've been doing, this is, this is not good. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to try and just do whatever. I'll try and be a servant for him. Maybe he'll let me back in because even his servants have it better than I did. Verse 20, the younger son gets up. He leaves. He goes back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
So dad sees long lost son coming around the bend and he runs after him. He's so excited, gives him a big hug, a big dad kiss right here. And verse 21, the son kind of goes into his sales pitch, right? He goes into his plan. He's like, dad, I sinned against you. I sinned before heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, so the dad cuts him off. We don't have time for that. Cuts him off, tells his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So dad's not even letting him come back with his half-baked plan to kind of get back into good graces. Dad sees them and it's like, man, it is time to celebrate. He calls the servants. He's like, put the robe on, put the ring on, put the shoes on, kill the fattened calf. We're going to party. Verse 25. Now his older son, here's the older son, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and he heard dancing, right? So he's hearing this lively party in the father's house going on. And he called one of the servants and he asked, what's going on here? What does this mean? In verse 27, the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, big brother's not too happy about this. In verse 18, he's he's angry and the big brother refused to go in. So the father comes out and entreats the big brother. But the big brother answered the father, look, These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never give me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, the one who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's a powerful story. Maybe one of the most famous stories, teachings of Jesus. And again, we see one father, two sons, and three parties. And I want to walk you through these. I want us to look at this together. I believe God wants to speak to you and to me and to us out of his word today, out of these stories So the first party that I want you to see, if you're taking notes or following along, I want you to see that there's a party that's happening outside the father's house, right? The first party we see is the party outside the father's house. The second party in the story is the party in the father's house. The third party that we see is what we're going to call the pity party of religion. We'll get there. That's what the older brother does. That's called throwing a fit. We'll get there, right? So first party outside the father's house house. So this young buck of a son, right, he's working for his dad. He's grown up in his dad's house, and and he gets this idea in his mind, this vision of the good life, that the good life, life is the way it's really meant to be lived, is not found at dad's house, is not found with his father, is not found on his father's property and his father's presence in that relationship. And to really understand what's going on here, you have to understand that Jesus is not really telling a story about two sons and a father. He's telling a story about God, the father, and two different types of people. Remember, he's in the presence of two different types 
of folks. And so I want you, as you're trying to understand this, to realize the Father here, when you read that, it's God the Father. Right? And here's this kid that's saying, hey, real life isn't with God the Father. There's a party going on outside the Father's house that that's where the real life is. That's where, man, real joy is. That's where I want to be. That's, that's what would make life worth living. That's the good life. So he asks his dad, right, give me, give me, give me my money, man. Give me my, give me my provision. I don't care about you. I want to go to this party, right? And what blew me away as I read this again is the freedom that the father gives the son. If my son came to me and said, hey, dad, uh, I just want the money that's coming to me when I die. I'd laugh at him to think that there was money coming to him. Uh, but then I would also say, son, I brought you in this world. I will take you out, right? That's what you would think we would do. But God the Father, man, look at how invested he is in the freedom of his son. That he would just say, if that's what you want, you can go for it. Right? And we see the son go off to pursue the parties outside the Father's house. Now, if you're thinking about, well, how does that, who might that speak to? How might that speak to me? Maybe it's literal wild living, right? We read that he was doing kind of the prostitute thing, the wild living thing, and we probably all know or probably have had a season of our lives where that's kind of been what we thought, man, this is the good life. But I imagine that even at a deeper level, whether that's part of your story or not, we can all realize places in our own lives where we've thought, man, the real life is not with God. I think God might be holding out on me of the best things. The real life is over here. It's maybe in this relationship that's outside the bounds of what God has spoken is good. Maybe it's kind of the real life is building, uh, you know, this type of career or this type of vocation that if I could just do that, if I could just be in this group or this fraternity or this sorority or have this income level or you name it, just that vision that we get sometimes that's like, man, real life is not found in relationship with the Father. It's found in these other things outside the Father's house. Can you, can you relate to that? Have you ever realized, like, man, I kind of feel like God's holding out on me? I can, I can relate to that. You might have spent a season of your life. You might be there right now where you realize you've been running after kind of all these other parties. And we see what those parties give us outside the father's house. What happens to the son? Right? It looks great at first, but in the end it takes everything he has. And what we learn in this story about parties outside the father's house is that they take, they don't give. They take everything that we have. I had a buddy in high school. We were close friends. He was very smart. He's the kind of kid you wanted to sit next to in science class. If science wasn't your subject, you wanted to be his study buddy, like he was one of those guys. And uh, he, he had some family drama kind of toward the latter part of his high school. And uh, that set him on a trajectory specifically related to kind of what his vision of the good life was. And he was National Honor Society in high school, very smart. He flunked out of college in his first semester because he, he went to UT. He spent it on 6th Street instead of in the classroom, right? And he spent the next 10 years of his life derailed from this incredible gift that he'd been given of, of, of 
school academic intelligence because he, he lost himself. And he's since kind of turned a corner, but he's been a whole portion of his life where everyone from our high school will be like, what happened to that guy? Right? That's what happens when we pursue the good life apart from the party in the Father's house. It takes, it doesn't give. It, it, it beats us up, doesn't build us up, right? This son goes from kind of being a big man at his father's house to being working with the pigs. It, it defiles him. Another characteristic of the parties outside the father's house is that someone's always a loser. Someone's always getting defiled. Someone is always, for someone to win, someone else has to lose, whether it's economically, whether it's relationally, whether it's just in their uh, self-respect, right? There's a defilement that happens to him. So we see that those type of parties, that's where they leave us. Now, there's a point in here where the son comes to his senses, where he comes to a realization. There's, there's a turning for him. And you might be here today, and that might be where you are. You're like, Zach, I showed up at church because I, there's something in me that's like, I, I'm trying to turn things around. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. I'm trying to turn a fresh page in my life. I want to say, man, you're in a good spot. This is a good community for you to be in. He's trying to start a new course. That's what the Bible calls repentance, right? What the Bible calls turning, and that's the first step in kind of uh, turning things around. And he's like, man, I'm going I'm to go back to my father's house, right? He shows up, and now we see the party that happens in the father's house, the second party. What happens there? Instead of it being a party where things are taken from him, the father sees him, and he comes out just generously giving to him in a way that might make us feel uncomfortable. Like it made the older brother feel uncomfortable, right? But here's the father. He's running after him. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. He's like, bring out the robe. We want to get you looking good. Bring out the shoes, maybe some Air Jordans, you know, that he's bringing out. Bring out the ring. It's going to show that you're my son. Kill the fattened calf. Like, he's just giving him all this stuff. And more than just the stuff, he's restoring dignity and honor to the son. And that's a characteristic of the parties that happen in the father's house, is that they build up, not beat up. I can't tell you how many times I've been at weddings where you can see people visibly impacted as Jesus followers get married. And there's just a spirit of encouragement. There's a spirit of honor. There's a spirit of building up that just moves people. That's the fruit of what the party in the Father's house does. It builds people up. It honors. There's not, at the end of the day, the next morning, there's not someone that's been defiled there's not someone that's been shamed. There's not been someone that's like done things that they're like, oh, I regret that or this person regrets that. But no, people are built up. Life is built up. Life is honored. That's what happens in the Father's house. People are celebrated. And it, it, this story would have been shocking to them. I imagine it's shocking to you to see God, the king over all, throwing this elaborate, extravagant party. And in fact, this partying God, so to speak, marked these disciples so much that the early church we read about in the book of Acts was marked by being God's partying people. Acts chapter 2, it said they broke bread house to house. Sounds like a dinner party. And they shared it with glad and sincere hearts, giving thanks to God. Like there's just this joy about them. It said there was a sense of awe amongst them. And it was these Parties that transform 
lives. That's the party in the Father's house. Third party that we see is the pity party of religion, right? We get to the older son. He hasn't gone off kind of the way the younger son did. He hung around. He hung around the house. He hung around dad, right? He kind of paid his dues, he thought. But what I want to point out to you as well is he's not in the party in the father's house. He's hanging out outside the house. He may be going through the motions, but when you read his response, man, his heart is far from his father, right? And church people can struggle with this type of party. We can throw pity parties, right? We think God is being stingy. We paid our dues, and now you're celebrating over here? That makes us upset. We, too, like the younger son, can buy into the lie lie that the real life is found outside of the father's house. What did this kid want to do? He wanted the fattened calf to go hang with his friends to celebrate over there. He wasn't into the party that was happening in the father's house. And why is Jesus saying that at this point? Because he has those same type of religious folks around him. And the reason their part of the story is not reconciled like the younger son in this story is because he's leaving an open-ended question that everyone at the dinner party where he's telling this would walk away and, and, and wrestle with, wait, what happened to the older sons? What happened to the older kids? Because the story is not yet written. Would they come into the extravagant celebration of the father? So where does that leave us? Well, I don't know for you in particular, but I want to invite us this summer as we seek to summer well to learn or relearn how to party. And we want to learn how to party in the way of the Father's house. So maybe your background, right? You read this story and you're like, I'm the younger son. Uh, that is my life or was my life. or I, 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 I feel him. I know what he's talking about, right? hey, God's got something better for you, a better party for you to be a part of. Doesn't mean that it's always going to be fun. It doesn't mean that it's always going to like everything is going to be awesome and you're going to be the Lego guy singing that song. But man, God wants to celebrate over you and he is so good and marked by so much joy and generosity. He wants to bring you in from believing the good life is somewhere else. The good life is found in him and him alone. Maybe you read this and you're like, I'm the, older, I'm the older brother. I get that through and through. Hey, the invitation is out for you. This story was not meant to come down and write the older brother off. The father invites the older brother into the house as well, right? Son, come on in. Everything that I have is yours. And that same invitation is for you today to let go of the bitterness and to let go of the belief, even though it may look religious, that the best stuff is found. God is an ATM to get really what you want with your buddies, and we'll use the religious language, but we won't enter in to the party. And the invitation for us is to learn to party this summer in that way of the Father's house, where it's marked by generosity, it's marked by purity, it's marked by honor, it's marked by celebration, it's marked by love. And I don't know about you, but man, that sounds like a good summer to pursue, right? We're going to do a couple community events. If you can put that slide up, Christopher, just to practice learning to party. So July 9th, so a couple weeks, kickball. If you, if you like to relive your elementary school days, we'll see who is the kickball champion. Wiffle ball, we played this the other day. It was really fun. Family pool party. 
Women's clothes swap. I do not pretend to fully understand the women's clothes swap, but we will have someone translate that event to you uh, and then college life groups, right? And here's what I want to say. Man, pick one of these to come and realize it's, it, it's kickball, but it's more than kickball. It's us being God's partying people and enjoying God. And I want you to think about what about for you as an individual, for you with your friends, for you with your family, for you with your community, what, what, what's a way you can grow in partying this summer God's way in a way that's marked by God's house where the best stuff is there? I don't know what it is, but I want to encourage us all to grow in that. And I want to invite you to stand, Stephen, if you can come on up. We're going to close with that. Jesus, thank you that you are a God of extravagant celebration. <laughs> that you are not a kill joy, but you are a give joy. God, you're not one that beats up, but you're one that builds up. God, you're not one that takes from us, Lord, but you give to us. And the best things in life, the good life is found with you. That it's so much better your way. And I pray as a community that we would grow as your partying people, that we would be marked by your celebration. We'd be marked by your generosity. We'd be marked by your purity. We'd be marked by your honor. And that as a community, that we would be your expression of extravagant love, both to one another and to the world around us, Lord. Let us grow in this this summer. Let us summer well in this regard. In Jesus' name.